Amen. You may be seated. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Coastal. I'm Pastor Chris. Great to have you with us today. Um, you know, last week, I know everybody was really excited because everybody's team won last week. And uh, you came in here and everybody was pumped up because football had started. But, you know, I know Clemson won and Georgia won. But uh, let's see. Hold on. Somebody did not win yesterday. Who was it? No, I know. Sorry, Carolina. Uh, not really. But anyway, um, hey, um, I, am, I am really pumped up about this coming Sunday. Game on. Hey, do whatever it takes to invite and bring somebody to church next week. In fact, raise your hand if, you know, you either came to the Lord, came to church, or had some sort of you know, significant, you know, growth in your own life spiritually because a friend, a family member, a relative coworker reached out to you and invited you to something, maybe a church service or here or even here. Isn't that great? I mean, think about that. That's how lives are changed because someone invited you uh, to church. Somebody invite you know, that's how I came to know the Lord actually was a friend invited me to church. Uh, changed my life. And I was thinking about, Joy was talking about uh, the tickets that are in your bulletin today uh, to use as invite cards. That's all these are. Uh, although they were, they were printed by Ticketmaster, so that's kind of cool. Um, but to have our times and uh, date and, uh, you know, address and everything on the front, uh, website, phone number, all the information on the front. And um, so use this as uh, an invite card. Uh, don't, this is not for you. This is not to be thrown away. Uh, this is important give it to somebody and invite them to come next week. And I was talking to some friends this past week, and they were talking about the price of a ticket right now for the, uh, for the Clemson-Notre Dame game. Oh, my goodness. I've heard prices anywhere from like five to $700 up to $3,000 for a ticket to the Clemson game. I mean, I'm a Clemson fan, but if I got a ticket, that's a no-brainer. I am selling that sucker for 3000 bucks. <laughs> but um, you know what I got to thinking about? This ticket right here is worth more than that. It is worth more than that. And yet, it's free, and you could give it to somebody this week, and it would change the trajectory of their life Maybe their family's life. I mean, you just never know. Somebody invited me to church, and you're here today. Like, you think about that. Like, I mean, this is, this is, this is priceless. So you get on it this week. You, you share this with somebody and get them here. We're going to have a blast, as always. We always do. I mean, tailgating is going to be going on. That's going to be fun. Again, sign up for that if you haven't done that. we got prizes we're going to be giving away uh, throughout the day. The Kona Ice Truck. Is going to be here. That's always big news here at Coastal. Um, so anyway, uh, don't miss next Sunday. But most importantly, don't miss a chance to bring someone with you. Now, let's talk about today. Uh, there is a standard uh, plot in Hollywood movies that you see you see a lot, especially in uh, romantic comedies, and and it goes something like this: He and she are not boyfriend boyfriend and girlfriend yet. But they're good friends. You might even say that they're best friends. But then wait a second. He discovers that he really, really does love her. He's just never told her. Now things kind of continue in this manner for a while until, of course, she falls in love with what? Another guy. Right? You've seen this movie, right? Okay. Um, 
And then, then there's all kind of hilarious stuff that ensues, you know, fighting and confusion and hurt feelings and separation. And, you know, he revenge dates, you know, that whole thing. And, and uh, you know, some woman who is so not right for him and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, she feels sad, you know, really sad in her heart. And until that one day she stares out the window at a lake. And it's what? It's raining, right? You've seen this. Until suddenly she realizes that what? She loves him. And so she gets up and and she takes the train into the city to see him. Not realizing, of course, that he has decided to tell her once and for all how he really feels. And he has taken the train, what? Out of the city to see her. And, And again... It looks like their paths are not going to cross and they're going to miss each other. But wait. (laughs) The train stops at a station right across from each other at the exact moment. And they're, you know, he's in that chair and she's in that chair. And they look, you know, and they, they, their, their eyes meet. But what are they to do? I mean, their trains are headed in opposite directions. Are they going to be able to to meet each other in time? Well, of course, yes, they will, because the total strangers around them notice that these two crazy kids are obviously in love, and they should be together. And so the crowd picks them up. And passes them, each one of them, overhead, across the mass of humanity, and and out the door. And they meet on the middle of the train platform. And he says, "There's, honey, there's something I got to tell you. And she says, shh, shh, shh. Me, Me first. Me first. I love you. And then they kiss, the crowd goes wild, all of a sudden out of nowhere, musical instruments arise out of nowhere, you know, a party breaks out, and the last thing you see as the credits start to roll is the two of them get hit by the next train. And so, uh, that would be in my movie, that would be in my movie. But you know, come on, we've all seen that, and the sad thing is, Here's the reality. Some of you have been there. Some of you have been there because in every single relationship, this is what I want you to hear today. In every single relationship, there's going to come a point when you actually got to say something, right? You know, say something, say anything, say something. You know, there is the popular saying often repeated by Christians, uh, and it's commonly attributed to Francis of Assisi, uh, and it says this, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use what? Words. Well, and I, I think we can all, you know, appreciate what the what the author of that saying was getting at when they said something like that. And you know, and as, as believers, we really should, you know, live our lives in such a way that that it points to Jesus, to the person, and to the work of Jesus. However, good intentions really can't overcome two basic problems with that quote. One. Francis of Assisi actually never said that, by the way. Um, it's never, it's really, it never can be proven that, that he actually said it. It's really disputed that he said it. He actually belonged to a preaching order and actually preached on the streets like five or six times a day. Um, but uh, most importantly, 
by itself, the quote is really not that biblical. It, it, it's not. Now, at some point, listen to me, words are actually necessary. I mean, it's actually kind of arrogant to think that you and I can live our lives so perfectly and so holy and, and you know, exhibit so many acts of service to the world and the community around us that people will just come and bow before us and beg to know why we do what we do and we can all point them to Jesus. I don't know about you, but it doesn't happen that way in my life uh, very often. Uh, in fact, Romans 10, 14 says this, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never what? If they've never heard about him. And how can they hear about him unless someone what? Tells them. Words are necessary. At some point we have to speak. We got to say something. You know when it comes to sharing the gospel. Helping our unsaved friends. And this is important. Through the evangelism process. And we're going to talk about that. Silence. And subtlety. And even service alone ultimately will not get it done. At some point, you actually have to talk about Jesus. At some point, you have to say something. At some point, our unbelieving friends actually have to hear and understand the gospel. So this morning, here's what I want us to do. As we kind of, you know, get ready for our big day, as we get ready for the move of God here at Coastal. And if you've been a part of Coastal for any length of time recently, man, you know God is up to something here among us. And that's why I'm excited about this new series. I'm excited about the fall. So I want to clear up the confusion and answer two critical questions. Question number one, what do our unbelieving friends need to know? And question number two, what do our unbelieving friends need to do? What do they need to know and what do they need to do? The answer to those questions are so critical. Because a lot of our unbelieving friends think they already know what they need to know and, and, and have done what they need to do. You know, you, you might, you might, they might say, well, you know, what I need to do to become a Christian is I just need to be a good person, right? I need to stop doing bad stuff, start doing good stuff. Basically, for most of the world today, a lot of people think Christianity is all about behavior modification. That is not the message of the gospel. Some unbelievers think that we, all we want them to do is to pray a prayer. Here, if you'll just read these words on the back of this track or the back of this pamphlet, somehow your life will be magically transformed. That's really not the complete message of the gospel either. Other people think, you know, well, the church is just always asking us to give something. But that's not the message of the gospel either. I mean, it, it really is no wonder whatsoever that a lot of our unbelieving friends are completely confused. Because we've made them that way. You know, they go to one church and they hear one thing. Well, you got to do these steps in this order to be saved. And then some guy comes around and he knocks on their door. And he says, well, you got to do these things in this order to be saved. And then they get to work. And then another Christian says, whoa, 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 wait a second. No, no, no. you got to do it like this. Sometimes I actually think it is a miracle of God that anybody gets saved today. Because it's so confusing. I, that's why I think it's so important that we send a very clear, consistent message. And I think we can do that by being prepared to answer those two questions. What do our unbelieving friends need to know and what do they need to do? Now, the clearest, most succinct, 
explanation of the gospel in the Bible is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, it, it is, it's a part of a letter that Paul wrote to a church that was really messed up. I mean, if you read the book of the letter of 1 Corinthians, man, there were some all kinds of strange things were going on. They were really struggling in their walk with the Lord. Now, nowhere, though, does Paul doubt their salvation. In fact, in the beginning of the letter, he calls them saints. He says, you're God's holy people. Uh, but he's concerned about their walk. And so he begins to lay out some of the basics of the faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Listen as I read. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the what? What's, what's the term that he used? Of the, the good news that I preached to you before. Now, contrary to what a lot of people think today about God, God is not in the bad news business, okay? He's not. He's in the good news business. In fact, the, the phrase good news is the gospel, the word gospel in the Bible. It actually literally means good news. News in Paul's day. Anytime somebody got some uh, some good things to share with other people, they referred to it as the gospel because it was good. Now, continue. Let's continue. He says, "You welcomed it then, and you still do now. For your faith is built on this wonderful message, and it is this good news that saves you if you firmly believe it." Drop down to the beginning of verse 3. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Now listen to this. Here it is. He says, this is most important. It was passed on to me. I passed it on to you. That Christ died for our sins just as the scriptures said. So right there, this is the very first point of the gospel message, Christ died for our sins. Everybody say that with me. Say, say it together. Here we go. You ready? Christ died for our sins. Let's say it again. Christ died for our sins. So tomorrow, if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, what's the gospel? Well, right off the bat, you can say, well, first of all, Christ died for our sins. Now, look at the first part of verse 4. He was buried, it says. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. In fact, so right there, Paul has, has made a point, and then he gives some proof. So how do we know that Jesus really died? He was buried. Okay, in other words, he didn't faint. He didn't pass out. He didn't fall asleep. He died, and he was buried. Now, in those days, when someone died, uh, they covered their body with ointment and about 140 pounds of different spices. And then they wrapped the body tightly in cloth from head to toe. And if you weren't dead before, you would be dead after, at the end of that process as they got you ready to be buried. So Paul is making a major, major statement here. He says, not only did Jesus die, they buried him. He was dead. So the point is, Christ died for our sins. The proof, he was buried. Let's continue. The rest of verse 4. And he was raised from the dead on the third day, as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter, 
and then the 12 apostles. Now this is exciting. This is, here's the second point of the gospel. He was raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead. Now, the gospel is very simple. Here it is, ready? Jesus died on the cross for our sin and was buried. He was raised from the dead and was seen. That's the gospel. Say it with me. Read it with me from your outline from the screen. Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was buried. He was raised from the dead and was seen. That was terrible. Let's just say it out loud together. This is now the you speaking part portion of this message, okay? Here we go. You ready? Let's read it together. Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was buried. He was raised from the dead and was seen. Even has a little rhythm to it, doesn't it? Yeah. All right. Okay. So, Jesus died for our sins. How do we know he was what? Buried. Buried. Jesus was raised from the dead. How do we know? He was seen. Man, I love, I love verse 6. It says, after that, he was seen by, listen to this, by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died by now. In other words, this wasn't a couple of people going, hey, I think I saw Jesus. Yeah, I think I might have seen him too. No, 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 no. 500 people saw him. That means it wasn't an illusion. It wasn't a hallucination. And then he says, and you know what? By the way, most of them are still alive. This was only about 25 years, by the way, after the crucifixion of Jesus. So it's not like Paul was saying, well, you know, this happened a long, long time ago. And uh, all the people who witnessed it, they're dead right now. So don't bother trying to check up on it. No. He was telling the Corinthians and anybody else who would read this letter, listen, they are alive. Go back to Jerusalem and you can still meet them and you can talk to them. And then Paul said this, I saw him. I saw him. Verses 7 and 8. Then he was seen by James, later by all the apostles. Last of all, I saw him too. Here's the point. The gospel the good news that we got to make clear to the unbelieving world around us, it is in and of itself, it is very, very simple. Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was buried. He was raised from the dead and was seen. So tomorrow, if anybody asks you, hey, what is the good news? What is the gospel? What are you going to say? Let's say it together. Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was buried. He was raised from the dead and was seen. That's it. That's the message. That's the simple gospel message that we got to make clear. And, but somebody might say, well, 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 hang on a second. Everybody knows that. That's not new news. You know, that's not something I can share with people and they'll say, whoa, I've never heard that before. I wouldn't be too sure about that today. You know, there might have been a time where you could, you could be pretty sure that even people in our country who've never darkened the door of a church knew a little something about the Bible. I mean, it was. It was so woven into the fabric of our culture, the fabric of our lives, that almost everybody had a general idea of the story, the message of the Bible, even though they might be just a little fuzzy about some of the details. But not today. Listen to me, not today. According to research, only 26% of Americans say they read the Bible regularly. 
of that number, 57% define regularly as four times a year. And among churchgoers, among us, less than one in five read the Bible. We cannot assume that the people that we know today have any knowledge whatsoever of the Bible. Listen, everything has changed. We can't keep doing things the way we used to do them. But there's a larger point here that I don't want you to miss. You see, evangelism, after all, is a process. It's a process. I really bet that most of the testimonies in this room would line up with what we'll talk about. We never know when that 
receptive moment will come. And that person will say, wow, I get it now. I see it. Because, you know, when, when they're ready and they finally actually ask, you know, okay, now, what's this all about? What's the reason for the hope that you have? That's not, that is not the time for you to start scrambling and say something like, well, you see, there's Genesis, and in the beginning, and then Moses, seen that one on TV, right, right? And the 12 tonsils, and Jesus was born under a Christmas tree, and then you got Easter, and then all the little sacrificial bunnies that couldn't make poor Jesus fly. And, uh, I mean, that sounds like an episode of Drunk History, doesn't it? I mean, it does. And yet, that's exactly the way so many believers sound when they're not ready. You know, we, we got we to make the message clear. Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was buried. He was raised from the dead and he was seen. I say some form of that almost every single Sunday here at Coastal. Listen, it was recorded in human history. It is a fact. He rose from the dead. You know, it, it was written and we have more written proof of the resurrection of Jesus than we have of Shakespeare. He was, it was witnessed by hundreds of people, and they gave their very life for it. Now, once they've heard that, that's what they need to know. Now, let's clear up the confusion. What do they need to do? What do they need to do with that truth? Well, it's not about making promises, trying to modify behavior. It's not trying to earn something or work for something. It is so Beautifully simple. They need to trust Jesus as Savior. Say that with me. Trust Jesus as Savior. It's the good old John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who what? What's the words? Believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in not pledges, not promises, not works for, not tries to earn. Whoever believes in him. This blows me away. Did you, I don't know if you knew this or not, but the two Greek words there, the word for believe and the word for in. You ready for this? They'd never, ever been used together in Greek language until the New Testament was written. The Greeks actually had no concept of believe in. They only had the word believe, as, is, as in believing a fact. And then Jesus shows up, and he says, well, the point is not believing information, not believing that simply that something is true. The point is, believe in. It's about trust. And the way a person becomes a Christian is by believing the message and then placing their trust in Christ. Don't you see? The issue of becoming a Christian isn't about begging. It's not about pleading for something. It's not about working to earn something. It's simply about trust. What we want our unsaved friends to do is to put their trust in Jesus' death on the cross as payment 
for their sin. Now, here's the old, old, ancient illustration. I am holding in my hand a what? Okay, this is not, this is not a trick. It's a stool. Okay, it's a stool. Um, now, if I say stool, I promise that I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make sure that you are dusted and clean. And, in fact, I'm not going to let anybody else sit on you. I commit my life to you, stool. Now, of course, I'm crazy at that point, but um, is that trusting in the stool? Yes or no? <laughs> Come on now, it's not, it's not hard. No, it's not. What if I traveled all over the world and told people, what a great stool this is? Is that trusting in the stool? What if I wrote a book about the stool? Is that putting my trust in the stool? What if I told you I believe 100% that this stool will hold me up? Is that trusting in the stool? What do I got to do? Now you're thinking, if that thing falls, Pastor Chris, that ruins that whole illustration right there. I should have tried that one out before we started the service. Okay, now, now what? I am what? Trusting the stool. Now what God wants our unbelieving friends to do, what he wants you to do, what he wants me to do today, is to put all of our weight on him. Put all of our trust in him. And say, God, if I die right now, the only thing that's going to get me into heaven is Jesus. Period. I'm not trusting in anything else. I'm trusting completely in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He alone is sufficient for the payment of my sin. That's it. What do they need to know? Christ died on the cross for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. What do they need to do? Put their trust in Jesus and his death on the cross as the payment for their sin. I mean, it's so simple, isn't it? And yet, why do we complicate it? Why, why do we make it about workbooks and seminars and 13-week studies and you know what that does? All it does is intimidate people. And it makes, makes you think you could never share with anybody the good news of the gospel. But God is telling us to be ready because at some point in their journey, at some point in your friend's journey, your neighbor, your coworker, your unbelieving friend is going to say, whoa, whoa, wait a second. What do you believe? And you got about a 10-second window of their undivided attention. And you say, Jesus died on the cross for our sin. And that means he loves us. That means I'm a sinner. It means you're a sinner. That just means we've blown it. He rose from the dead. It was recorded in history. It was witnessed by hundreds. That means he has power over sin 
God wants you to put your trust in his son. That's what you need to know. That's what you need to do. Don't you see, becoming a Christian is not about making a promise. It's about trusting in a promise. It's not about giving something to God. It's about receiving something from God. It's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has done. It's not about believing information in a book. It's about trusting in a person. Jesus and his death on a cross as payment for our sin and his resurrection as proof of his power over death and sin. What a great, great system. Isn't that great? Everybody is invited. Anybody can get in. Anybody can become a Christian. And everybody gets in the same way. By, by trusting in Jesus. How in the world could anybody ever improve on that? Now, I know today that I'm mainly talking to believers, but I don't want to assume anything or take anything for granted. My guess is there are people here today, and there will be throughout this whole day, who are still in the process of finding their way back to God. And who knows, maybe... Maybe today, as I was talking, a light came on. And it was like a switch got flipped. And you saw it and you heard it for the very first time. You understood the good news. Listen, you need to know something. God did that, not me, not the person who brought you here, the very Holy Spirit of God who has been drawing you here, drawing you to himself, it is not an accident that you are here today and that you have heard the good news of the gospel. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and was buried. He was raised from the dead and he was seen. And what he wants you to do today is to put your trust in Jesus. Maybe God brought you through this process and today is your day of salvation. When you stand before God, and we all will, we all will one day, and he asks you, why should I let you into my heaven? What are you going to say? There is only one correct answer, only one. I put my trust in Jesus. Period. Right answer. God is giving you time to do that now. You know, the amazing thing is all the things that we get so judgmental about and, and so worried about, man, if you really put your trust in Jesus, the rest of it takes care of itself. You know, the following, the, the cleaning up, all the changing. Because that's when the Holy Spirit comes to live within your life. And day by day, you become more and more like God now sees you to be. What about you? Have you done that? Have you heard the good news? Have you responded? Today might be your day. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel, the simple and beautiful truth that Jesus that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was buried. He was raised from the dead and he was seen. 
listen, if you're here today, the simple response to that is to put your trust in Jesus and him alone. Not your, not your own goodness, not your ability to try to clean yourself up or stop doing bad things and start doing good things. That, that'll, that'll just drive you crazy. It'll never work. Heaven's a perfect place. God is a holy and perfect God. And only those who are covered by the blood and the forgiveness of Christ will ever stand in his presence. Cry out to him today. I believe in. I believe in Jesus today. I believe in Jesus today. Father, I pray for our church. I pray that we are a group of people who are always prepared, always ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. Because we never know when our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers will be ready receptive to hear it as though they're hearing it for the very first time. Father, I pray for this coming Sunday, the 20th, that we would do whatever it takes to get our friends here. That this week we would love, serve, share, give, and reach out. We love you, Father, and I pray these things today in the name of Jesus. Amen.